Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. I do want to begin uh, this morning by just sort of uh, relating to a bit of a story uh, that I came across uh, this week that um, I think sort of ties in a little bit right to what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, it happened back on October the 24th, uh, 1918. Now, that was a while ago, right? <laughs> 1918 happened quite a while ago. It's a local uh, story. And it was back at about 2 a.m. on October the 24th, 1918, that a ship that was called the Princess Sophia that was on its way from Vancouver headed to Alaska, uh, that the ship ran aground on what is called the Vanderbilt Reef. And uh, it's a reef that's on the way. It's close to Alaska. It's in the Lynn, uh, what's called uh, the entrance of what's called the Lynn Canal uh, on the way to Skagway. And that morning at 2 a.m., they ran aground. Well, the ship's captain waited till the next morning, of course. And by the next morning, uh, early on, there were several boats that had come that had heard about what had happened or had seen what had happened. And they had come to rescue the people that were on board. There's 355 people on board. And so all of these small fishing vessels and others were there and they came to rescue the group. Uh, that was on the ship. Well, the captain at that point made a fatal mistake. And here was his fatal mistake. The captain said, you know what? For the sake of the comfort of our passengers and for our cargo, uh, we're not going to evacuate the ship right now. He said, we're on the rock, the reef pretty solidly. He says, I think that will be okay. And later on when the tide comes up and, the, and, and a larger ships can come in to rescue us, he's like, I'm going to wait for that time uh, to come and then we'll be rescued at that point. Well, uh, I'm sure you're probably already ahead of me on this, but uh, the, in fact, the weather just got worse. It did not get better as he thought. And that day and into the next day, the 25th of October, the winds uh, came up and the storm worsened. And by that afternoon and then early that evening on October the 25th at 6 p.m., the Princess Sophia went down and lost every single one of those 355 people perished that day in that shipwreck. Shipwreck. Interestingly enough, it was just a few days later on November the 11th, 1918, that the Princess Sophia's ship, uh, a sister ship, which was called, um, uh, which was called the, the Princess uh, Alice, it arrived into Vancouver. And when it arrived in Vancouver, it carried on it 155 bodies that had been rescued from that or had been uh, salvaged from the wreckage. And they brought those 155 bodies back to Vancouver to be reunited with friends or with family, of course, for a proper burial. But what was so interesting is that when they arrived in Vancouver on November the 11th, 1918, was Armistice Day, which we're celebrating this week on November the 11th on Wednesday. And so as that ship came really bearing horrible news and, and a, a terrible situation where everyone was lost on that ship, they arrived to Vancouver to much celebration, <laughs> They didn't arrive to a city that was mourning the loss of these people, but in fact, they arrived to a city that was celebrating, that was, uh, there, there, there's told there were bonfires all around the city. People were in the streets, they were celebrating, and they were celebrating Armistice Day against the warnings from the public health department because it had just been a few weeks earlier that the, uh, uh, that the Spanish flu made its way into Vancouver. In fact, they believe a lot of the celebrations that happened during the Armistice Day celebrations were what helped spread it, which ended up in a thousand people from Vancouver dying from the Spanish flu. And you say, why are you sharing all of this terrible news with us? <laughs> uh, well, I want us to go back to that ship for a moment that we talked about at the very beginning. 
The sad part about the whole situation is that no one really took note of those lives that were lost. Sure, their friends and their family would have taken note, but as a, as a whole, it's not like today when there's a wreck or there's a, a, a crash of some sort. I mean, the whole world pays attention and the whole world notices it, but those 355 people lost their lives. And because of the, the situation and the timing, almost nobody noticed. And to add to that, I want you to put yourself in that ship. I was amazed to think about that from about 6 a.m. on the 24th of, of, uh, of October until 6 p.m. on the 25th. I mean, uh, I mean, think of the hours, and especially as the storm whipped up and before everyone was lost. Can you imagine the panic and the fear? What they said is that the captain had said, let's wait for a rescue to come, but it became very clear that no rescue was going to come at that point. And the ship then slipped off the reef and everyone perished. But I want you to imagine, as bad as it is, imagine what it would have been like to be on that ship in those final hours. Once you recognize that, okay, we're not going to be rescued from this. The captain made the wrong call on this. He made the, uh, he made the wrong decision, and now here we are. We're probably going to lose our lives as a result of his decision. And then to be there awaiting, basically awaiting their death. You know, today in our passage, we're going to join up with someone else who is part of a shipwreck. <laughs> We're going to join up here a story in Acts chapter 27 where we see a group of people on a boat that is literally at the place of no hope. And that's where we're going to be today in Acts chapter number 27. They are going to be on this ship. They're going to be in the storm and they are going to uh, literally come to a point where they say we are without hope. I'm sure that those people on the Princess Sophia reached that point. And we're going to connect in today. But today, what we're going to do is rather than tell you a sad ending, we're going to tell you a bit of a, a good ending, right? Which is so great. It's something that can encourage you. And today, really, the message is all about this, how to have peace in the storms. How can we go through a time of our life that is so difficult and at a point in our life where it seems like there is literally no hope inside? I have no way out of this. And yet we're going to see how Jesus is the one who can give us peace in the middle of the storms. We're going to pick it up in Acts chapter number seven or 27. And I'm going to be again reading in verse uh, number one. But just to give us a little bit of a reminder of where we are, uh, we see the Apostle Paul, of course, had just finished up all of his trials there in Caesarea. He had proclaimed, he says, I want to go and see Caesar. And he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to testify to Nero in Rome himself. And so they said, if you have appealed to Caesar, then to Caesar you will go. And so that's where we pick it up in verse number one of Acts 27. It says, and when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, uh, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of Adramatium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. I want you to notice that the journey begins with a reference to we. Did you see that? Whenever we see that in the book of Acts, that is a reference to the, or Dr. Luke, the, uh, the one who wrote this book. Whenever he uses that term of we, that means that he was there. It was an eyewitness account. And so he's on this journey and they're put into the custody of a guy named Julius. Now we have a guy named Julius here in our church and uh, it's a Bible name. Uh, although it's a Roman pagan name, but uh, you know, we, <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke. Uh, we, uh, we have him here. And so it's a Bible name. That's a good thing, right? He's got a Bible name. And, uh, and I don't know why I said that, but anyway, uh, they're put into his custody and uh, he was a centurion. He would have been uh, over a hundred soldiers or so. And he is put under the, uh, Paul is put under his custody. 
And they begin and they get on a ship and they begin a journey. Like I said, Paul, uh, Luke would have been there with them. Of course, the Apostle Paul. And then we see here at the end of the verse, it says, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. Now, if you remember, maybe that name sort of triggers something for you. But back in Ephesus, when there was that great riot in Ephesus, and you remember they rushed into the theater that could hold 20,000 people, remember? And they're trying to kill Paul. It tells us in that passage that they also took one Aristarchus uh, with them. And so this is the same guy. He had maybe stuck it out with Paul. He had traveled with him a little bit more. And now we see him here going to Rome, willingly, uh, willing to travel with him. And they uh, then are on this ship. This was a journey that would have taken them five weeks to make from Caesarea all the way to Rome. And now they begin with things not going as they had hoped. Verse number three. And the next day we touched at Sidon and Julius courteously, see he was a good guy. He courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. Well, they left Caesarea, it says, and they sailed only about a day and they landed uh, in a city and they had a stop in a city called Sidon. You can see on the map here that it's just a little bit north of Caesarea. It was only been about a day's journey by boat and they landed there at Sidon and it says that they let Paul, did you see that? He let him go out and be refreshed and to see some friends in Sidon. Now we don't know anything about these friends. We don't know who they were, but what we can assume is that they were Christians. We definitely can know that for sure. And he went there and he was encouraged by them. He was refreshed. The word that's translated refreshed is a medical term, meaning maybe Paul was sick. Maybe he was seasick already uh, after one day, or maybe he was struggling with some other ailments as we know he did struggle with. But either way, he was refreshed and he was encouraged. And to me, that's just a great reminder that Christians are always the ones that reach out and help one another and encourage each other. Not because we have some great commonality or because we all grew up the same way, uh, but because who we have inside of us, which is Jesus Christ. And we can connect with each other in that way. And so Paul was refreshed and encouraged, but we also noticed that the centurion let him go. Now, to me, that was shocking to me, honestly, because here's the the way it worked in Rome. If if a prisoner was put into your care and you lost that prisoner, they escaped, or even if they died, if something happened to them, you as the guard were the one who would then pay the penalty uh, for their crimes. And so Uh, it's surprising to me that the centurion was like, yeah, go ahead, Paul. Maybe he just believed he was innocent as many of the Romans did, or perhaps it was already that Paul had built a level of trust with him. But either way, Paul is able to go and he's able to be encouraged. And that would have probably been good. You know, that first day at sea, uh, they probably would have got some supplies. This wasn't like there was vending machines on the, on the boat. You know, it's not like the ferry and, oh man, they have triple O's on the ferry. Awesome. Uh, it wasn't like that at all. It was, uh, you had to provide your own stuff. And so I'm sure they gave him some supplies and food for the journey. And they got back back in the boat and it says that they went and they made it to Lyra, which was a city of Lycia. Let's look there at verse number six. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days and scarce were come over against us, Nidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon and hardly passing it came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens. Nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Well, the ship that they found here in Mira, and let's look at the next map there, Lex. I'll show you this. Uh, You can notice they had to take a northern route because the wind was not real great. Uh, And so they stayed close to shore and went up and around. And they came to this city called Mira where they picked up another ship. It says a ship uh, of 
Alexandria. Now that's interesting right there, just a detail for us. Uh, Egypt was sort of like the granary for Rome. And so there was constantly ships going from Alexandria to Rome, filled with grain, filled with uh, uh, food and harvest for Rome at that time. And so it's not, un, uh, uh, it's not unusual that they would have found a ship like that. And as a Roman centurion, he could have said, I have some prisoners with me. You have to give us passage to Rome. And they would have been able to get on this ship. And this ship would have been much, much larger than the one that they were on originally. And the reason was, is because you can see there from Mira, they would have been headed down to Crete. Now, Crete was not their initial or their final destination. It ended up becoming that way, though, as they snaked their way through those outlying islands. The reason was, is because I don't know if you noticed that, it says that the winds suffered us not, meaning the winds uh, were not as they should be. It's not like today, you know, where they just fire up the engines and go. The wind had to play along with where you wanted to go, and the wind wasn't very helpful, and so they, they sort of snaked their way up and around and through those islands with the purpose of finding some shield from the wind so that they could actually make headway as to where they wanted uh, to go. Well, then we come to verse number nine. They land in this place called Fair Havens. Well, that sounds awesome, right? Fair Havens, let's just put it, let's park it right here. Well, look what happens in verse nine. And when much time was spent, when sailing was now dangerous, <laughs> because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and he said unto them, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and much damage, not only of the lading, that's the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Well, they spend some time there in Fair Havens for whatever reason, and it says, though, that it then became dangerous because the fast was passed. And the reason the fast was passed, or, or what we know about that anyway, is that the fast he was talking about was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which takes place in late September, early October. And if you know anything about sailing in the Mediterranean, we all do, right? If you know, you know what it's like to sail in the Mediterranean. Once you get into the late fall, pretty much it's almost impossible uh, to try to get anywhere you want to go because the storms can whip up so quickly. And, uh, and, and really from November to March even, they don't do much sailing at all, at least back in that day. Well, Paul, he says, listen, guys, this is dangerous. Did you see that there? He says some bad things are going to come along. There's going to be some hurt and some damage. Now you say, well, how is it that Paul knows this, right? Paul's not a sailor that we know. Now here's something interesting. At this point in Paul's life, here's what we know from 2 Corinthians. He had already been shipwrecked three times. <laughs> now think about this. Now, if you've ever been in a dangerous situation, you know how nervous you are the next time, right? I remember when I was a kid, you know, uh, I was in this car accident with my brother. It's his fault, you know, and it was a terrible accident and I almost lost my legs and all, it was really bad. Uh, it's a long story, but I say that it probably wasn't as bad. I was 13, you know, so you have some vivid memories, right? But I'll, I'll never forget this, you know, I mean, we totaled that car and I mean, it was just, it was a terrible situation, but you know what? When my dad came and met us there and picked us up and took us home, guess what I was doing the whole way? Man, I was holding on for dear life, you know? I was holding on to the door and uh, from that point on, my mom, would drive and I'd ride with her and I'd just be like wearing a hole out in the carpet, you know, in the front, like hit the brakes. And I was nervous and I was scared. So you can imagine someone like Paul being a little bit touchy, don't you think? When he sees the wind and he sees the storms, he's like, man, it's October already. I've been shipwrecked three times. I don't want to be in another shipwreck. And so he warns them and he says, don't go any further. Well, that sounded great, I'm sure. And to us, we're like, listen to Paul, listen to Paul, because we know uh, that he, uh, of course, walked with the Lord. He maybe had some insight there. But look at verse number 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken of Paul. He listened to the guy who owned the ship. Okay, I get that. I understand that. Uh, and he listened to others more than what Paul said. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attend, attain to uh, Phoenix and there 
uh, to winter, which is in Haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Well, basically they ignore Paul and they decide what they're going to do is they're going to go north then on the island of Crete. They're going to stay close to the shore. And you'll see here, they're just going to go about 64 kilometers uh, up the island of Crete from Fair Havens up to this place called Phenis. It's also called Phoenix as well. And there they said, okay, we'll just go up the coast and then we'll put the boat in there and we'll winter and we'll stay there. For whatever reason, Fair Havens wasn't as fair as it promised. Maybe didn't have enough accommodations. And so they said, we're going to go up here to this place and we're just going to go on this nice little journey together. Well, it doesn't seem all that bad, but it's here that things take a turn for the worse in verse number 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their, pur- uh, their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. They're like, great, this, the wind's blowing. This is going to be great. We're going in the right direction. We're going to stay close to the, uh, close to the island. <clears throat> but not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. <laughs> and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. Now, there's some interesting stuff that's happening here. Uh, some real sailor talk <laughs> that we are maybe unfamiliar with a little bit, but that we noticed the journey began nicely, but then the winds changed and this wind called the Euroclidon, they had a nickname for this kind of wind. Uh, that's how much they knew about it. Well, a Euroclidon was basically a wind that was so strong that it would lift up the waves uh, above what the ship was at. So you can imagine, we've all seen on YouTube, you know, those videos of like cruise ships, you know, taking in some massive storm. And we're just like, man, I never want to be in a situation like that. But that's what happened. This huge storm came up and and it says here that when the ship was caught, it could not bear up into the wind. Well, we know ancient ships didn't have the same kind of power that they have today. And they didn't have the same kind of navigation. And so often when a wind would come up like this, instead of trying to fight it, instead of trying to, you know, turn the ship into it, uh, uh, they would just basically, as the verse says, let her drive. What does that mean? They just sort of hands off the wheel and the wind just, just let it take us, man. Just go with it. You know, it's like if you get caught in a riptide, you know, in the ocean, you just go with it. Don't try to fight it. Just go with it. And so that's what they would do. They, and so it says here that they let her drive, meaning the ship, and off they go. Well, verse number 16. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven. So this is interesting. They try to find an island that they can kind of get underneath that would shelter them from the storm. And they must have found a little bit of a reprieve because it tells us that they undergirded the ship. Uh, It's also called strapping the ship. And what they would do, this is an ancient way of keeping a wooden boat together. They would drop a uh, ropes off the side and have it come up underneath. And then they would literally tie them together to try to keep the ship from breaking apart. And so they would band the ship and have ropes and whatever they could all across. And this is a massive ship. Uh, They would wrap it all up and they would do everything they could to keep it because they're like, if this is what we're facing, we've got some troubling times ahead of us. And so they, they bound it up, they undergird it as well. It says here that they were afraid they would hit the quicksands, meaning uh, that was something that was about 400 kilometers away from where they were, meaning that's how bad the storm was. They didn't know really where they were. They thought, man, we're going to get pushed all the way into these quicksands, which were basically sandbars. We'll get run aground. The ship will break apart. And so they just got everything together. They wrapped it up and it says in strike sail. And so uh, were driven. Well, I think you could agree with me. Things are not going very well for the 276 passengers on board. We know that from later on in the book, uh, in the chapter there, 276 people on this boat. Verse number 18. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship 
And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. All hope that we should be saved was taken away. Now, I've never been in a storm like this, and I am so thankful for that. If you knew how well I swim, swimmed, swam, swum, I don't know. If you knew how, how well good I am in water, you would be like, yes, you never should be in a storm. And I've never been in a huge boat in a huge storm, but I have been in a tiny metal fishing boat in the middle of a storm at a lake in Northern Ontario while lightning is striking all around us and we got the motor full on and the waves are starting to cap a bit and us rushing the store and I was terrified. I can't even tell you how scared I was, especially when lightning is striking, you know, all around you and you're in this little metal boat and I'm not a little guy, you know, and we're just bombing it. And I remember how scared I was. So I cannot imagine how terrifying it must have been to be in this boat how terrifying it would have been to be, uh, to have all this storm all around you and so dark and so, uh, uh, so much clouds that you can't even see. It says here the sun or the stars for many days. I mean, they had no radar. <laughs> they had no weather apps. They had no, uh, they had no SAR sun. They had nothing. They had no idea where they were except for the raging sea day upon day after day. And I want you to notice they did everything they could, didn't they? They lightened the ship. They threw everything off that, that they possibly thought, okay, we, we don't need this at all. Our lives are more valuable to this. And they're throwing uh, everything off of the ship and the supplies. Uh, they're trying to lighten the boat, which typically you do that when there's water in the boat. You want to lighten it and get it up above the water line. And so they were probably had bucket brigades and people trying to keep water out of the ship 24 hours a day. They were trying to simply survive. But then it says here that even though they did everything that they thought they should do, even though they had uh, gotten rid of the rigging and gotten rid of the cargo and they'd, they'd done all that they could, they had strapped the ship, they did everything they possibly could to survive. And then it says there at the very end of the verse that they got to a, poise, a point where all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Even after doing everything that they possibly could, they reached a point where all hope was taken away. Now I wanna ask you this this morning. Can you relate to that a little bit? Have you ever found yourself at a point in your life where all hope was taken away? You yourself had done everything that you possibly could do. You had done everything within your power and within your bank account and within your wisdom and within your experience to try to better your situation and to try to fix or repair or mend or, or get whatever that situation is. You're trying to work it out and you've done everything that you possibly could, but yet you still found yourself with no hope. You found yourself in a place that there is no possibility of rescue, no possibility, no end in sight that you will ever see this thing, uh, this, this thing fixed, whatever that situation is. I think we all can relate to that in some way, where it feels like there is no hope in sight. What are we going to do? Well, that's what I want to spend the rest of our time with today. Because what I want us to see in this passage is that even in the most desperate of situations, it is still possible to have peace. <laughs> now, that's the uniqueness about being a Christian, is that even in the most difficult of times, we can still find peace. Now, what we know about this verse here is that hope had died for 275 people. But the thing that we must remember is that there's one other guy on there, the 276th man. And his name is the Apostle Paul, and he has a calling and a vision and a purpose from God. 
And so what we see here is that Paul, though everyone else was looking out and could not see the lights, they could not see the stars, they could not see the sun, Paul was looking beyond that and he knew that the light of the world was there for him. He knew that God had promised him something. And so as those waves crashed over the deck, and I want you to put yourself in that, in that situation. I want you to imagine that. I thought about bringing some like water guns and you know, play some uh, storm, storm sound effects or something and try to imagine what it would have been like there. But I want you to imagine these people, I mean, soaked, freezing, cold. I mean, the, the boat just going up and down and up and down. And, and the boat just, they say that in those old wooden ships that in a storm, the, the groaning and the creaking of the wood, you know, flexing was just, just curdle your blood, you know. And imagine that noise and the storm over and over uh, just coming and people huddled maybe on the deck or down below, everyone hiding out, just trying to hold on and to be in a place that has no hope. Maybe some of you have been to a funeral for a friend of yours that maybe did not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you know what it's like to be in a room where there's no hope. Man, I've been in those situations. That's tough. That's tough. Surrounded by people who have no hope of after, of this life, of, of after this life. They have no hope of eternal life or of seeing that loved one again. And they're in this ship, basically a big coffin, just awaiting. Everyone's just waiting to die. And here we see the Apostle Paul begin to speak. I think he probably had to shout it over the sound of the storm and over the waves and the water pouring in. And he began to shout and he gave to those men a ray of hope. And the ray of hope that he gives to them is the same thing that we can have today. And it's the same ray of hope that we can share with others as well, going through these difficult situations. He begins in verse 21. It says, and after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. And he said, sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not loose from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. It's a big I told you so, right? That's what he's saying here. Now, I don't think it was mean or anything. Not like when you say to your kid when they fall, you know, after running, I told you not to run. I don't think it's like that at all. I think he was just saying, listen, guys, I did bring up a warning about this and you maybe should pay attention to what I have to say right now. And now he begins his little bit of a message to them and he gives us some important aspects of hope that I want us to hold on to this morning. In verse 22, he says, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer. That means take courage, guys, be okay. And they're all like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Be of good cheer. He says, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Verse 23. And there stood by me this night, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve saying, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Verse 25, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must cast upon a certain island. You notice here that Paul didn't approach these guys and be like, hey, uh, guys, uh, on my weather app, it just said that the storm's almost over. So just hang out for a few minutes. We're going to be okay. You know, did he say, hey, I was out on, on the deck and I was looking and I think I saw a little glimmer. Uh, I think the weather's going to start to change and we're going to be okay. And also, guys, while I was out there, I was checking out uh, the, the strap job you did on this, on this boat. And man, you did an awesome job. I've never seen it look so good. I've been in shipwrecks before. I know what it's like. I think you did a great job in this ship. I think we can handle anything. Even if we hit those sandbars, we're going to be fine. Great job, everybody. You know, keep up the good work. Let's have some hope. No, no, he didn't do any of that. What did he do? He came to those guys. And he said to them, God is in control. If you want to put it all into one ball, he said, God is in control of the situation. God is in control of this. God has made a promise to me. And if God has made a promise to me, God's going to keep that promise. And uh, he's going to see this through. And it may seem impossible now, but God is giving us some hope. 
Now, when I hear Paul say that, I'm like, wow, man, that took some guts. <laughs> I mean, people, it said no hope at all. I don't even know if Luke and Aristarchus were on board with this. I don't know if they were like, Paul, this is it. This is it. Luke saying, man, I did all this work into this book, you know, I'm going to lose it at sea and no one's going to know about what happened. And, and I don't know, but Paul was able to get up and he had such courage and he shared that with those people. And I asked myself the question, well, how is that even possible? How is it that Paul was able to stand up there and with courage, encourage the, uh, the hopeless and be there for those that had no hope at all whatsoever? Well, I think the answer is in what he actually said, and I want to point those out to us here this morning real quickly. The first thing I want us to point out, and the reason Paul had courage and had hope, was number one, because he had God's presence. He had God's presence. Now, we're not told what Paul was doing that night, but my assumption is that he was praying. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree with that? Paul was not somebody who was just like, ah, you know, never prayed about anything. He prayed about everything, just as we all should as Christians. And I believe as Paul was praying, he says to us that an angel sent from God came to him and said, remember, I promised you uh, that I'm going to see you through. But more than just seeing him through, what we see in this is that God was reminding Paul that he was with him, that the presence of God was with him. If you think about what David said in Psalm 139, verse number seven, he said, whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? And he's saying here, you can't get away from the presence of God. And, and God came to Paul in that ship in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night when all hope is lost. And he said, I just want you to remember, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. And I want to encourage you with that, uh, with that today, church. Listen, no matter what storm you're in, no matter if it seems hopeless, no matter if it seems like I'm never going to get through this thing, the presence of God is with you. He is there. You just have to reach out to him. And that's why I believe Paul spent time in prayer, because that's how you really get connected into the presence of God. It is very difficult to pray uh, to God and not acknowledge his presence, right? It's so funny. We'll, be, we'll literally be in a situation and we'll be like, where is God, right? And then we're like, and then a Christian brother says, hey, let's pray about that. And we were, dear God, we know you're here with us today. It's like, <laughs> we just, all we did was take a step over to the right, you know? But in prayer is where God reveals himself to us and we are reminded about his presence. In church, when we're in those moments of desperateness or those moments where it feels like uh, we're never going to see this through, we got to be reminded of the fact that God's presence is with us. His presence is with us. He is there for us. I was reading a, um, a, one of the commentators on this passage and he mentioned this story. His name was Kent Hughes and he was talking about when he was a pastor um, that he was going through a very dark, dark season of life as a pastor. In his ministry, it was just a real struggle. He said that he felt alone. He, he said, I, I, I could never sense the presence and I couldn't sense the help of God in my life. And he tells the story that he was sharing that with his wife uh, what, late one night and he was telling her that, I just feel like, man, I, just, I can't even sense the presence of God. And his wife said this to him and I thought it was so powerful. His wife said to him, she said, hold on to my faith then because I've got enough for both of us. Wow. Hold on to my faith then, because I've got enough faith for both of us. And he said this, he said, God's presence through her. She said to him, she said, I've got enough faith for both of us. And her faith revealed to him God's presence. And here's the thing, church. We need to remember that God is with us and we need his presence. And Paul was able to say to those men there, he said, listen, God is with me. I know that he is present even in the middle of this horrible storm. God is with me. And I gotta tell you, God is with you as well in the middle of your storms.
in the middle of your difficulties and your trials and your loneliness, God is with you. But secondly, Paul had courage and he was confident because he had God's or he was God's possession. So he had God's presence, but he also had or is and was God's possession. Look at verse 23. He said, there stood by me this angel, uh, uh, this night, the angel of the Lord, whose I am. I like that. I like that phrase right there. Sometimes we forget the fact that we are God's possession, that uh, not only is he ours, but we are his. It is so encouraging for us to remember that uh, God cares for us. And unlike the way we treat our possessions, God treats us as special and he cares for us because he paid a great price for us. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, it says, what know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which ye have of God and ye are not your own. And then he says this, for ye are bought with a price. Now think about that. God paid for us. He paid the price of our sin uh, through his son shed blood on the cross so that we could be the adopted sons and daughters, can be his. He says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are not uh, simply his possessions that are misused and mistreated, but God treats us and he loves us like no other. I was thinking about John chapter 10, verse 14, where he said, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known of mine. As the father knoweth me, even so know I the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Did you see that there? Because we are God's, He lays down not only his life for us in his sacrifice so that we can have salvation through him, but he's also willing to do uh, anything it takes to care for us. He knows the state of us. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows the trials that we are in. And so Paul is standing there with courage saying, listen, I know I'm okay because I know God's with me and I know that I'm his and he's going to care for me. He's going to walk with me uh, through that valley. He's going to walk with me through the trial. And if you belong to God today, you can say the same thing. As a Christian today, you can say, I am God's and I, I, am, I belong to him. And so I can, be, uh, I, I can stand with courage for him in those storms. You know, I was thinking about my family and uh, on the subject of courage and of being, uh, of being uh, secure. And, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons that my wife and my kids are secure in my love or the way that, that I know they're secure in my love is because they know that I unconditionally love them, Right? The thing that gives my kids security is that they know their father loves them unconditionally. My wife is secure in our relationship and she is secure in who she is because she knows that I love her unconditionally and completely. And that gives them confidence. Gives my kids confidence. It really does. And I'm thankful for that. I want my kids always to be confident that they know their parents love them unconditionally. Some of you, unfortunately, did not experience that growing up. And I got to tell you, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But here's the thing. Regardless of how you grew up, you have a heavenly father who loves you unconditionally. And because he loves you unconditionally, uh, you can live with courage in this life and you can walk through life and the difficulties of this life knowing that he is with you. He will never leave you to suffer alone because you are his today. So regardless of how your earthly family treated you, you have a heavenly father that will treat you in the right way and will walk with you through the difficulties. And Paul knew that. And that's why he had courage. Third reason he had courage, though, is because he had God's purpose. Verse number 23, he said, whose I am and whom I serve, whom I serve. He had a purpose from God. He stood before those guys soaked to the skin uh, from the water, from the ocean, and clinging to the ship itself for life. And he was able to speak with confidence and with clarity because he had a calling on his life. And he knew that if God had called him to do something, and if God had called him to accomplish something, then he was protected. 
that God was going to make sure that his will was done through him. And here's the great thing is that as Christians, when we know the will of God for our lives and we recognize and we understand that God has a purpose for each of us to fulfill and God has a work for us to do and people for us to reach, when we know that truth in our hearts, it can give us tremendous confidence because God, if he's called us to serve him and to fulfill a part of his will through our lives, you're not going anywhere till that happens, okay? He's going to protect you and he's going to walk with you and it can give us some sustained and some encouraging assurance. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me, ye might have peace. And then he says, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. I like that. He's like, man, it's going to be full of peace. And they're like, yeah, peace. Oh, you're going to have tribulation right after that. I mean, within the next phrase, but then he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What are you talking about here? What is he saying? Paul said, God gave me a purpose. He told me I'm going to Rome. I know that I have something to fulfill for God in this time. And so because of that, I'm just going to continue on because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And God is the one who will overcome. And it gave him courage and purpose because he had God's purpose. Listen, we've talked a lot lately about the will of God and knowing the will of God and pursuing the will of God and how important that is for us. And the great thing about knowing the will of God for your life and even just fulfilling his revealed will to us in the word of God here, it gives us great purpose because we know then that God's going to walk with us through whatever it is, even in the difficulties. You know, one of the great things that can help you get out of a difficult season is to have some purpose in your life, right? If you've been through a deep, dark season of life and at the same time have no purpose, man, that's a terrible place to be. That's a terrible place to be. That is a, a struggle. But yet as Christians, we always have a greater purpose than ourselves, a greater purpose than this life and this world that we live in because we are God's and he can use us to do great things. And so Paul had courage because he had God's purpose, but lastly, he had God's promise. Look at verse 25 again. He said, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. He, he kind of bookended his uh, speech to them. At the beginning, he said, Have, be of good cheer, be encouraged. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. And at the end, be encouraged. And they're like, oh, whatever again. He's saying, just be encouraged here. Why? For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Now, at this point, Paul might have been wondering about the promise God had given to him two years ago. But then God's presence came. He was reminded about his promise. And that reminder of his promise encouraged him to say, I believe God. And if God said it's going to come true, then it's going to come true. Now, this is so good. So good right here. Because Paul is illustrating to us something that most Christians and more Christians need to do. And that is simply vocalize our faith in God. Vocalize our faith in God. He says to those men there, that room of unbelievers, you know, except for maybe Paul, or, or sorry, for Luke and Aristarchus, he vocalizes to those guys and says, listen, I believe the promises of God. What is he doing there? He is sharing with them his faith. He's saying, I believe God. I am declaring my faith in God. And the truth is, is that you will go through storms in life that are long. You will go through storms in life that uh, come one after the other after the other. But as we go through those, we have to remember his faithful promises of grace to us. And sometimes all we need is that remembrance of his grace in order to encourage us uh, to continue to move on. And that's what Paul says here. Paul's like, listen, God promised it to me. And so I'm going to trust in his promises. Well, guess what? Our Bible is full of promises to you, the Christian today. Our Bible is full of promises like, I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Uh, you say, Pastor, you, you quote that verse a lot. I do because I've memorized it. And, and secondly, because I claim it all the time. 
It's a promise that God has given to me. He's not going to leave me or forsake me. So no matter where I find myself, God is with me. And sometimes all you have to do is take a step back and say, you know what, God, you promised me this. And so I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to trust in that promise. I'm going to trust in the fact that you said you would walk with me through the fires. You would be with me when I'm drowning. You'd be with me uh, in the trials. And I'm going to claim that promise and I'm going to vocalize it. And I'm going to declare my faith in God. Too often as Christians, we just keep it all in. You know, we're like, oh yeah, I got some faith in there. Why don't you vocalize it? (laughs) Say, man, I'm trusting God. Hey, fathers, when you're in a tough time with your families and you're struggling and you're not sure how things are going to go, proclaim to your children, listen, kids, we believe God and we trust in God. Man, there's been, uh, thankfully, not that many times, but there's been a few times I've had to encourage my own family and say, listen, we're going to trust God together. Husbands, lead your home in that way. Man, those of you that are uh, are single or uh, in in dating relationships, I mean, make sure your faith is known. Make sure that you're encouraging uh, other people around you. Say, if you're you're single and and, and you're not in a relationship right now, well, listen, your your faith can stand strong uh, to other singles. And you can reach out to others and be like, hey, you know what? Let's have faith. Let's, Let's trust God. Let's, uh, let's walk with him. Let's do the right thing. And let's encourage one another in that way. And, and, and Paul here is encouraging those people. He's encouraging even those unbelievers with the fact that he has faith in God. And that promise that was given to him, he says, I, I believe God. He's going to make it happen. Listen, when you're in a storm, you need to be encouraged with the promises of God. I know that there are some of you here today that maybe feel like Paul in this storm right now. And right now you're feeling tossed about (laughs) by the wind and the waves and you feel like everything's gonna break apart soon. Sure, you've done everything that you can to keep things steady, but you feel like you're nearing the end. You feel like maybe there's no hope for your situation. Maybe you're like one of those Roman soldiers that was in the boat or one of the crewmen that were there. My prayer for us today is that like those other people in the boat that actually got to listen to Paul speak to them, that you would follow Paul's example, that you would follow Paul's encouragement when he said to them, be of good cheer. Okay, I wanna encourage you today, if you're in a difficult season right now, if you're in a trying time of your life, can I encourage you, take courage, be encouraged, be of good cheer. God is close. God's presence is right beside you. God has not forsaken you. God can pinpoint your your location to the exact point. He's not like a GPS. He's within three or four feet. He's right there. He knows where you are. He knows what you are going through. And he has not forsaken you. And if you're a child of God today and you're a believer and you know uh, that he is your savior, guess what? He's walking with you through that trial. He's trying to give you the strength that you need. And he has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for you to serve and to live for him. And so take heart. Don't get so discouraged and so down in the situation that you're in. Listen, we are in a broken, fallen, difficult world. We know that. But like we read before, uh, he is going to walk with you through that. He has overcome the world. And you say, man, I feel like uh, the whole world is against me. Except for maybe some of the smaller countries, they're neutral, you know. But no, no, I feel like the whole world is against me. I, I feel like I feel like just every, everyone's against me. Well, listen, he's overcome that world because he is greater who is within you. And God has promised to you peace. John chapter 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. 
And then he said this, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What is the peace that he's talking about here? In context of that passage, he's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The fact that as he left this earth, he gave to us his Holy Spirit to indwell those believers and be our comforter in troubling times. He would be the one who would walk alongside of us and would carry us through. You know, I don't know what kind of storm that you're in right now. I don't know what you're facing, but can we be encouraged with the Apostle Paul's testimony to those unsaved people there in the boat where he says, listen, God has promised me and he's not going to leave me behind. Can I tell you today, God has promised that he's with you. His presence is near. His presence is near. And he's given you a promise that you can hold on to today. Now, next week, we'll actually get to the shipwreck. Sorry, I kind of sold it a little bit at the beginning there. Next week, we'll actually get to the wreck. Right now, they're in the middle of the boat. They're in the middle of the storm, just like some of you are. Now, I encourage you today to have faith. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.